Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Get your Bibles out today. We're going to dig again a little further in the book of Ephesians. Um, For the last several weeks, we have been in a series um, entitled The Brand New We. And uh, it's a play on words from a brand new me, um, because we're starting to realize Paul was writing this letter to a young church, lots of new believers, um, and we've been taking this series verse by verse. It's been a different pace for many of you. I've had several tell me, Pastor John, I, I just don't have a habit yet of reading my Bible Um, Like that, I'm going to encourage you, this is a great series for you to jump in with us and read because we're going to go verse by verse and find out exactly what it is that the Apostle Paul was telling us and telling this new church. And if you've missed the first couple that we've done, they're available. I'm going to encourage you to go back, pick up the last two from the series, either on the website or on your podcast app. But today for part three, um, I've entitled this The Wrong Jacket. Can you say that with me? the wrong jacket, wearing the wrong jacket. We've been learning Paul's goal in this letter is to let us know that in Christ, it's not just about me, it's about we. And every single, every few verses, Paul takes a minute, he's talking to individual believers, but he reminds us that there are other people around us. And here's what I understand as I go through this message, what I'm hoping to get across those of us today is that when God changes you and gives you a new identity, he doesn't just change the way you see yourself. He changes the way you see everyone else as well. I'm really excited to dig into this, especially this section when I shared with Pastor Pastor Sean earlier this week that I was going to be kicking off with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. He kind of snickered a little bit and he said, that's one of your favorite verses, isn't it, Pastor Don? Well, you're right. It is. It's, It's one of my favorite verses. And uh, here, here's, what, here's, here's what it says. I'll put it up there for you to see. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And there's a lot in that verse just in and of itself. I could probably take two weeks to unpack it just there. I love this verse for so many reasons. The first, it reminds me that I'm his workmanship. This specimen of a body that you see before you today handcrafted, chiseled from stone by the very hand of God is hit. Why are y'all laughing? (laughs) Kayla, they don't agree with you, baby. (laughs) Seriously, though. Honestly, now that I'm getting into my 40s, I'm starting to become a little bit more aware of my metabolism. There's there's a thing I've, I've, I've noticed. People start talking about this dad bod. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The dad bod? Apparently it's a thing. Not a lot of men raise their hand. We're, we're kind of... I like to refer to it as working on my father figure, to be honest. Um, so that's what I'm doing. I'm working on my father figure. No, truth is, I love this verse because it reminds me that I'm made on purpose and for a purpose. God had something in mind when he created you and I. He gifted us, he equipped us, and he packaged us for a purpose. There's some good works, a contribution that I'm to make to society and for you too. 
those good works, this purpose that was prepared beforehand. And you think, well, beforehand, before when? Well, before you were born, before you were separated from God by your sin, and before you even had a chance to mess it up. A number of people have had come to me and say, Pastor Don, you don't understand what I've done and where, where I'm at and the things that have happened in my life. There's no way God could use me at this point. I'm too far gone for God to have anything left. There's nothing left to live for. And can I just tell you, because God's plan for your life was created and planned before you were even born, it's still there waiting for you. You're not missed it. And it's common, we often ask school-aged children, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Anybody remember asking kids, what do you want to be when you, when you grow up? How about we start doing this as parents? How about we start asking them what God wants them to be when they grow up? Hey, what has God called you to be? What has God gifted you to be? And they probably don't know the answer when they're young, but if we get them thinking about maybe God has something planned and prepared, and I need to be able to walk in it. While we're here talking about this specific moment, can I take a minute and just highlight some profound theology that Paul drops on us in this, in this moment? Last week, we left off with these two verses from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Verse number 9, look at this. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Y'all remember us talking about that? You can't do your way into salvation. It's a gift. And that's where we ended last time, but that's not where Paul ended his thoughts. We're, we're going through this entire chapter, this series, this letter that Paul's written, and we just kind of cut him off mid-sentence the last time I shared. We stopped at verse 9, um, and no one may boast. And then verse 10 is where we pick right up in this single train of thought. I'm going to read it to you, and I want to highlight a couple of things as we go through it. 8, 9, and 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. In them. Y'all, y'all, y'all see that, the difference here? That, that salvation is not a result of works, but we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which is it, Paul? And there's a profound truth here in Scripture that I don't want us to miss, and it's this. I'm not born again because of my good works. I do good works because I'm born again. Big difference. Don't get the cart before the horse on this. He's saying very carefully and very succinctly, this gift of salvation is yours not as a result of anything you possibly could do. But once God does that in your life, there are things that come out of you as a result of that. Those good works flow out of us because of what he's done in us. Pastor Stephen Cole says it this way, you cannot work for God until God has first done his saving work in you. And the very first thing that Paul tells us after describing to us that salvation is a gift, he says there's something prepared for us to do that that gift of salvation unlocks inside of us. That God doesn't just give us an entry point into heaven, he gives us something that we can walk in the fullness on earth until we get there. How many of you are thankful that God just doesn't give us entryway into heaven, but gives us a place and a way to be fulfilled here on earth if we figure it out. And that's what he's talking about. He's going through this whole letter and he's saying there's something that God has for you 
to do, to be a part of that. God-given purpose, those good works that he's prepared beforehand, and now that you're saved, he wants you to walk in them. There's just one problem, and this is what the Apostle Paul hits straight on, coming right out of that verse, and I would say it this way. Here's my summary of the problem that Paul's about to unpack, and it's this. The church can't move forward if its people can't get along. God's done this amazing work. It wasn't a result of anything that you've done. It was a gift. And there's something that he wants us to do, something he's put in our hearts to do before time. But if we can't get along, we can't move forward to accomplish that thing. Let's see how Paul unpacks it in the next three verses. Ephesians 2.11 says this. Don't forget that you Gentiles, in other words, you non-Jews, you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. He's talking about there's two different groups of people in this church. He said, at the time, you did not know about Christ. You were foreigners to the people of Israel and you had no part in the promises that God had made to them. You were living in this world without hope and without God. He's pointing to the elephant in the room and he's summarizing his differences. You ever reconciled an argument between two people, right? I, I, I get the opportunity to put on a black and white striped shirt most days in my household and play the referee between multiple children who are going back and forth and it usually goes something like this. I know that's what he did. But you also responded incorrectly. And I know that she set you up to do that, but you fell right into that. You're not right. You're not right. Both of you are wrong. Can we come together in the middle of this? And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying in the middle of this. He's saying to one, hey, you didn't even know God. And to the other group, he's saying, you weren't even acting like God. Both sides are wrong. And oh, by the way, this is generational there's a problem, and we gotta figure this out. Two groups of people coming from two different backgrounds now having to figure out how to do this Christianity thing together. It's a big problem. And that's what Paul's doing is he's unpacking this and he's walking. Verse 13, look at what he says. But now, I do that as a parent. Hey, I know that's what happened. Listen, right now, this is where we are. But now, we're not focusing on the past. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. Think about that for a second. Far off, brought near. Brought near to what? He, surely he wasn't talking geographically, right? He, he's in Ephesus. He wasn't saying, hey, you've been brought near to Jerusalem. That's over 600 miles away. That'd be akin to me saying, hey, God's brought you near to Jacksonville, Florida and the beach over there on the, at the Pacific coast. No, you're still here. He's saying, listen, we've been brought near. What's he talking about? Relationally. There was sin in your life that separated you from God and from God's people. You could not be in relationship. But because of what Jesus did for you by his blood, now you can. And listen to me, church. Anytime you devalue the people around you, you devalue the very price that was paid for a relationship with him to be possible. It's a big deal. And if we're gonna be the church that God wants us to be, this church in Ephesus is gonna be what God called it to be, we've gotta understand and learn how to get together, and that's what Paul's saying. It's not just that you were saved. He didn't just give you a brand new me, he gave you a brand new we for us to be a part of and understand we might have to get along with some people that aren't 
like us. This mention of the blood in this verse is important too. Can I just tell you, Jesus didn't just die. Like, sick in bed, peacefully, passed on to heaven, died. It, it, was, it, it wasn't like everybody saw it coming and they called in hospice and everybody got an opportunity to go say. That wasn't like it at all. He was brutally tortured. He was absolutely, publicly humiliated, publicly murdered, the worst of humanity, afflicted, the very innocent son of God himself. That's how Jesus died. That's how his blood was shed. He didn't go to a a, a blood donor truck and say, I'd like to give some blood today. It was physically ripped from his body for our behalf. And here's the crazy part. Yet it wasn't retaliation or judgment that came from God in response. Love reached down to the very depths of that act and reached you and I. And can I just tell you, if you feel far from God today, there's no act, there's no habit of actions for which the blood of Jesus cannot reach you and will not draw you near to God. There's a hymn we used to sing in church. It was, it was entitled, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. I want to share that with you. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. So Paul's talking to us and he's unpacking this, this, this passage in this letter and he's saying, listen, and you may be sitting here and you say, Pastor Don, okay, I've been saved, check. I've been given a purpose, got it. God, I don't know how to get along with some of these people. I had a good friend, we were in Bible school, studying to become pastors. Kayla's chuckling because she knows the story. And he sat there one day, we were talking, he's like, man, I know God has got a plan for my life and and I know he's called me to be a pastor, and, and I love God with all my heart, but I just don't like people. <laughs> I said, God's got some work he's going to do in you, but if you think you're going to pastor and you don't like people, I remember thinking to myself, uh-oh. And almost right on cue, we see Paul shift into this we kind of language as we walk verse by verse, this, this we language, and Paul anticipates the complaints And it's almost like he's saying, hey, just like salvation, you couldn't do it on your own. Look what he says in verse 14. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He's made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that separates us. Look at this. And he has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. I love this phrase. His triune essence has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity. Jews and non-Jews fused together. Two have now become one, and we live restored to God and reconciled in the body of Christ. And say this next part with me. Through his crucifixion, hatred died. Through his crucifixion, Hatred died. Here's what I think Paul's saying to us. In Christ, you've been saved. 
In Christ, you have a purpose to fulfill, good works to do, and he's also saying, in Christ, you have the ability to get along with people you'd never expect to get along with. God has prepared something for us to do, but we'll never be able to fully accomplish the things God has for us if there's hostility, hatred, and racism between us. It's a big issue. We gotta speak to it. Paul hit it head on. Remember, we said this earlier, the church can't move forward if its people can't get along. And don't miss this, because I think in our society today, I think sometimes we think that all of our racial tensions and our political hostilities are a result of bad laws and a failed political system. It's, it's easy to think that, but it's, it's wrong. And, and all those problems are a result of the sin and the wickedness that exists in all mankind. That's where it comes from. Here's, here's what I'm saying. Racial hatred, political tensions do result from failed political and judicial systems. But those failed political and judicial systems are a result of the fallen sinful nature of mankind. We don't just need new laws and new leaders. We need new hearts and new motives. And only then we'll be able to legislate properly, vote properly, and elect properly and if we don't walk in these new identities that God has given us with others we won't be able to accomplish the good works that God has prepared beforehand are y'all with me today I hope this is okay I'm just telling you what Paul's saying in in the middle of this he's saying what used to make you different doesn't matter anymore it no longer makes a difference you think Paul was aware of the pride and the prejudice that existed in the first century church Oh, he absolutely was. Did you know that a Jew would shake the dust off his sandals and off his clothing anytime he entered the Holy Land not to contaminate, contaminate it with Gentile dust? Could you imagine getting back from Lafayette one day before you walked in and be like, get that off of me. Samaritans were partly Gentile. And most Jews would add three days to their journey just not to have to walk through the place where they lived. In those days, if a young Jewish man or a woman were to marry a Gentile, their families would hold a funeral service. They were essentially dead to them. You think Paul knew something about racial tension? For fear of contamination, many Jews would not even enter a Gentile home or allow a Gentile to enter theirs. Could you imagine trying to start a small group ministry in the first century church? For Paul to tell New Testament Jews and Gentile believers that they were to be united was a tough pill to swallow. And can I tell you, it wasn't religion that they needed, it was relationship. And here's what I want us to understand about our brand new we that Paul is trying to unpack for us as we read through this, and it's this. Divisions exist when we prioritize old identities. That's where divisions come from. When a Jew believes in Christ, he gives up his nationality in exchange for a brand new identity. When a Gentile believes in Christ, he no longer worships of his own choosing, he's now given a new identity. Both are now Christian. There's not a Jewish Christian, There's not a Gentile Christian, there's just a Christian. It's not even the first label, it's the only label that happens. That's what Paul's saying in the middle of this. When a white man 
has only known himself to be a white man and he believes in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, guess what? He does not become a white Christian. When a black man who has only known himself to be black gets saved, born again, changed and given a new identity, he's not created a black Christian. He's created a Christian. And I'm sorry, Pastor Jacob, but there aren't any Mexican Christians either. It's just Christians. Don't tell him I said that. He's my pastor. (laughs) Hear what I'm not saying. I'm not diminishing the fact that God made us different races. That was his idea. It was his plan, part of his thing that he prepared beforehand that you would walk in it. I'm not saying that all that goes away when you become Christ. What I am saying is I'm promoting what he's done in you. I'm not demoting your race. I'm glad that he made me the way that I made it. I'm glad he made you the way he made you. But he's saying if we're gonna accomplish and move this church along, I can't identify with the old identity. I need to identify with the new identity that God has called me to do. But these divisions don't just happen over race, do they? You think our brand new identity addresses poverty? Answer? Yeah, when a rich man becomes born again, he doesn't become a rich Christian. He becomes a Christian. And when somebody who's poor and in poverty becomes born again, they're not an impoverished Christian. They're a Christian. What about politics? Move your feet under the pew. I'm about to step on your toes a little bit. When a Democrat is born again and believes in Christ, there's no such thing as a Democrat Christian. When a Republican gets born again, surrenders his heart and his life to Jesus and the lordship of Jesus, he does not become a Republican Christian. You say, well, that's why I'm independent. There's no independent Christian either. It doesn't happen. Listen, of course we need Democrats. Of course we need Republicans. I'm not bashing either one, but I am doing what Paul did. I'm reminding us that what God did on the cross broke down the barriers that our differences created. You gotta have both. Listen, write this down. Divisions exist when we put on old identities. When we put those old identities on, that's when the divisions start to happen. My high school letterman jacket Um, stays in a closet upstairs. I I almost brought it. I should have brought it. I should have brought it for you guys today. Could you imagine if I were to go to the closet every couple years, pull it out, put it on, drive around town in my truck with the windows down, up and down the strip, doing the things I used to do when I was in high school, pulling up to Kayla, hey, good looking, come jump in the truck. No, don't sit over there. Sit in the middle. I'm wearing my jacket, reliving my glory days. You would look at me and say, Pastor Don, you're a grown man, father of five. You need to grow up. (laughs) You need to grow up. If you're here today wearing your Letterman jacket, I'm sorry. Please, (laughs) please please forgive me. I didn't know you were going to wear it today. I would have used a different illustration. But can I tell you, as funny as that is, we do the same thing every election season. Oh, it's time to vote again, so we go to the closet, we pull out our old political jackets, and we start reliving our old identities. Can I make an appeal to you today, just in light of this upcoming political season? That's why the church 
loses so much credibility every political season because we run to our closets and we put on our old letterman jackets instead of wearing the new identities that God has given us. These new identities that we've been given by Christ. It's like Halloween, but there's only two costumes to wear. Really? I I don't understand how we can get so polarized during the middle of a political season and yet so unified when nobody's up for election and there was nothing to vote for. God has given you and I an identity that supersedes that. And I got news for you. If you read this book, you're gonna find problems with both jackets you'd be putting on. It's tough. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying we've got a brand new identity. I'm not even telling you how to vote. I'm saying let's find out what this word says. You say, well, Pastor Don, are you saying to be a Christian we have to agree with everybody on everything? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was Ruth Graham. She was the wife of Billy Graham. Heard of him before? Here's what she said. If two people agree on everything, there's no need for one of them. That was the wife of Billy Graham. Said, we don't agree all the time. I think there's room for us to disagree. Hostilities and racial tensions don't come from disagreement. They come from wearing the wrong jacket, putting on the wrong identity. When my disagreement with you is rooted in who I think I am or my identity, that's when I feel attacked. That's when I lash out. But if I understand I've got an identity, a brand new jacket in Christ, and our disagreement has nothing to do with who I am, it has everything to do with us disagreeing on that thing then there's room for us to do this together. Y'all with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying? You don't solve political issues, hostilities, and racial tensions on the basis of our differences. You dissolve them by considering how we are the same. And that's what Christ did for us on the cross. He formed one new race of humanity. Can I challenge you? Get ready. This political season's coming. Let's be a light to this dark world, can we? Can we understand when we have an opportunity to see something or hear something or read something? Let's not be so quick to go jump and put on the wrong jacket. Let's stop and consider maybe God has a different jacket for me to wear in the middle of this. Don't wear the wrong jacket. Last few verses in Ephesians chapter two and then we'll close. Isaac, you can join me. Ephesians chapter two, verse 17 through 18 says this. And he came... And he preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. What did he preach to those who were far away from God? What did he preach to those who were really, really close? You mean to tell me both sides needed the same thing? That the gospel came and it broke down the things that kept people far from God and it broke down the things of the people who thought they were close to God but really weren't? In the middle of it, he preached peace to both, both sides needed preaching to. Neither side was right. Both were wrong and unable to get to God. So here's what Christ did, verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Both, both. No division together. Here's another way of saying that. There's but one way to access the Father. And it's through him, Jesus Christ. Let's look at 219 says this so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners 
your citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. The same family. That new identity, that new jacket that he's given you gives you access to the family reunion. You get to come in and see what God's doing. My brand new identity means I'm no longer a stranger. I'm no longer a foreigner. I'm part of a new family. But the Gentiles didn't join the Jewish family. The Jews didn't join the Gentile family. Both of them joined a brand new family that God was creating in the middle of this. That's what Paul is saying this way. Remember, we started saying there's something that God has done in your life and it's a good thing that he wants you to do. He's put it there beforehand that you would walk in it. You remember? Paul's going to bring it all the way back full circle. Here's what he says in verse 20. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. I love the Passion Translation. It says those two verses this way. This entire building is under construction and continually growing under his supervision. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't need you to be done right now? That there's time, there's room to continue to grow, that as God's working in you and helping you understand this, it's not easy not putting on that old jacket. But God's saying, I'm content with giving you this new identity and for you to learn to wear it until it fits. Ever bought a brand new pair of jeans before? Yeah, they don't fit like the old ones did, do they? Yeah, but what do you do? Those old ones didn't fit the way they fit now when you first got them either. You wear it till it fits. And there may be some things that you know God's asking you to do or some ways to interact with other people that are different from the way you grew up. But listen, God wants you to wear it until it fits. We're growing under his supervision until it rises up, completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. Verse 22, this means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. He doesn't even end saying you're supposed to do this on your own. He ends by reminding you, he started it, he'll finish it. Just let the Holy Spirit work in you in the middle of this. It's not something that you have to do on your own. He's willing to do it in and through you. If the church is gonna continue to do the things that God has prepared it to do beforehand, Paul's saying right off the bat, You're not just saved to be saved. You're saved for a purpose, but that purpose will never come to pass if we can't get along with each other in the middle of what God has called us to do. Are you hearing me today? Do me a favor and bow your heads. Close your eyes. I want to ask you a question. Just listen to me for a minute right there where you are. Pastor Don, what are you asking me to do? I'm saying this. I'm saying you have a new identity. I'm saying you have a purpose to accomplish. And I'm saying it will involve people. So don't be so quick to rush to put on an old jacket. I think there's two responses to the message we read in Ephesians today. And here's the first. Pastor Don, I'm a Christian, but I've been wearing the wrong jacket. 
I've allowed myself to prioritize other identities over my identity as a Christian. And you may be here today and you may be harboring fear, anger, bitterness, or resentment towards someone or toward others based on their differences. And God has shown you today that how, today how he's keeping you, how that's keeping you from walking in the good works that he's prepared for you. From right there where you are, if that's you, I want you to repent. In your mind, I want you to look at that jacket, that old identity, that label. It might be Republican. It might be Democrat. It might be black. It might be white. Rich. Poor. Or even American. Whatever the label is that you've put before Christ, I want you to take that jacket off there in your mind. Now I want you to put on that new identity that you've been given by Christ. Put it on. It's clean. It's bright white. And it fits you well. Perfectly tailored for you. You look amazing. People notice the difference. Now I want you to ask God to help you wear it. Help you keep it on help you walk in it no matter what circumstances you may face. And here's the second response. You may say, Pastor Don, I'm not a Christian, but I want to be. I want God to be first in my life above everything. I'm ready to forsake all other labels and all other efforts. I want to receive the free gift of salvation provided by the blood of Jesus that you spoke about today. My eyes have been opened spiritually and I'm ready to be born again. And if that's you here today, I tell you three things that will happen when God moves you from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. First one is this. I'd say it's as simple as A, B, C. A, you'd be able to admit that you're a sinner. That your sin has separated you from a righteous, loving, and holy God. And as long as that sin is there, you cannot reach him. B is believe. If God's done a work in your heart today, you can believe that he sent his son Jesus, who lived a sinless life and who died a death that we didn't have to die to pay a price that you and I couldn't pay. Not only do you admit that you're a sinner, but you believe Jesus came and gave his life for yours. And then C, confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. Many people come to God in a moment when they need a Savior. But as we read today, there's only one way to get to God, and that's through Jesus. C is confess him as Lord and Savior. That his jacket's the only one you're going to wear. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I'm ready. I know that God's done this in my heart and he wants me to put on the right jacket today and I don't want to be wearing the wrong jacket. Can I tell you, none of those things are possible if God's free gift of salvation has not come your way today. And if that's you here today, I'm going to ask you, nobody's looking around, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm not going to invite you up front. I'm just going to ask you from right there where you sit, would you raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying with? I want to pray with you today to acknowledge what God has done in your heart. Right there where you're at, can you raise your hand? Let me see. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. 
in the balcony today. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. If you raise your hand, you can put it down. One more time, I'm gonna ask. You've never been born again. This is a new thing God's doing in your heart and in your mind, and you wanna know that you're included with those that we pray with today. One more time before we pray, let me ask you to raise your hand right there where you are. I don't wanna miss anybody today. Thank you, sir, I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you, I see your hand. Those of you that raise your hand, you can put them down. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to lead you and you can repeat after me, but I'm going to ask the entire church to pray this prayer with us, indicative of the fact that nobody does Christianity alone. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, and I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's celebrate with those who raise their hand to be born again.